followed me on Instagram and, uh, you know, it, it, like I looked at her pictures and she was a trapeze artist and I was like, Ooh, and you know, the fact that she was really attractive didn't hurt, <laughs> but, uh, but I went because I was curious and I was like, Oh, you're a trapeze artist for Cirque du Soleil. I'm like, well, that would be a fucking fascinating interview. And so I made a note and said, okay, you know what? Um, I, I reminded myself like, you know, when I get... This is Scratch Your Own Itch, the one show that delivers the conversations that we're afraid to share, but need to. This show is all about creating a life worth living. I'm Logan Tyler Nelson, and I'm your host. So you're going to hear conversations with creators and entrepreneurs talk about what they do, their current and past traumas, how they became who they are, and what they are truly curious about. This is the show where we talk about the things we think about a lot, but need to talk about more. Please take note that this show is not a substitute for actually creating a life worth living because this show will stir your beliefs, make you question what it means to create a life worth living. So my promise to you is to always give you one question to answer for yourself today to start turning your dreams into a reality. So, my curiosity question for you is, what are you obsessed with? Okay, let me set the tone. Following your dreams is a very romantic idea until you start, well, doing it. When it's just a far off possibility, when it's just a maybe someday kind of idea that lives in your brain, it's much more appealing because that version of following your dream is the highlight reel. It's your consciously or unconsciously imagining of this dream achievement montage that plays in your head in which you're writing in your head, oh, it seems a lot of fun, right? But actually doing it. Now that's a whole different ball game. That's where it becomes sort of unromantic. That version of your dreams inside your head is hard to actually put into existence. And if any of this is resonating with you, then you're in for a treat because my guest is someone who takes his obsessions of ideas in his head and makes them a reality. And makes them a reality. His name is Srini Rao, and he is the host and founder of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where he has interviewed more than 700 people, ranging from bank robbers to billionaires. Guests have included Daniel Laporte. Glenn Beck, Tim Ferriss, Ella Luna, Seth Godin, and hundreds of others. His self-published book, The Art of Being Unmistakable, was a Wall Street Journal bestseller, and his most recent book, The Audience of One. So, without further ado, give a huge warm welcome to the one and only Serena Rao. Hey there, thanks for having me. Hey, Serena, man, uh, thanks a lot for coming on, man. Honestly, I've... Like I was telling you off air, I've listened to thousands of hours of your podcast. It's probably um, just as uh, important to me to listen to that podcast as it was to to go to class at school during my university years. It was actually more important to listen to that podcast. So um, 
I just appreciate your huge, huge, I just got to acknowledge you right off the bat. Your huge skill of interviewing people is, um, it's, it's seriously like, it's hard to compete with you. Like Jordan Harbinger, uh, all those guys, like, I mean, you're up there, Larry King, Oprah Winfrey. Like I put you on the same field as them. Oh, thank you. That's, that's uh, very flattering. Well, dude, you've earned it. Um, so, uh, well, all right. So the mission of the show is uh, called Scratch Your Own Itch, which to me is, is sort of like you're finding clarity by actually scratching your own itch. And so maybe that itch is writing for you. Maybe that itch is, is you, you found some problem that you had with yourself and, and by doing so you found a way to systematize it. So where did you sort of like start finally scratching that itch and how did it get you to where you are today? You know, it's interesting because I think that uh, there was like little inklings of it throughout my life. Uh, I wrote a 63-page single-spaced autobiography about my four years in college in eight days. I uh, tinkered with blogs the moment Blogger came out. And then it really, I think, started to take hold back in 2009 when uh, the gap between creativity and technology had become narrower and I could execute most of my ideas without the technical skills that used to be necessary. And so suddenly I found myself in this just sort of unusual position in which I could do things I couldn't do before. Um, you, could, you know, I was able to start a blog and it took very little technical skill to do it. And so that was really the beginning. That kind of planted the seed for almost everything that I've done since 2009. The blog led to uh, the podcast, uh, which subsequently became Unmistakable Creative, which is what you know me for. But prior to being Unmistakable Creative, it was actually called Blogcast FM, a a podcast for bloggers. And it just kind of took on a life of its own. And it it really kind of evolved uh, over the better part of probably a decade at this point. I mean, it's it's been a long, long time. I I think that people don't realize just how long I've been doing this. And we're kind of an an anomaly in the the space in that we have, uh, we started before everybody else. And we uh, have been around longer and we've grown slower uh, than people who come after us. But I I think for me, uh, what has happened more and more over the course of the last probably 10 years is that uh, the gap between creativity and technology has become narrower and narrower to the point where it's going to soon be non-existent. And we're, we're getting closer and closer to that. And that's exciting. That's exciting because it's going to put a lot of power in the hands of people who have creative ideas. Hell, I mean, it already has, but it also does something else. It raises the bar for you to be able to stand out in a, in a sea of noise. And uh, we've just reached this sort of interesting inflection point in society where the sheer volume of information that is competing for our attention is is insane. It's far beyond what evolution ever intended. And so as a result, we don't really go deep with a lot of things. And we, we have sort of shallow focus on a, a, a dozens of things as opposed to deep focus on a handful of things. And I think I have uh, always kind of fallen into the camp of, okay, I want to work on a handful of things and go really deep with them. Yeah. That's what I see in, in your work time and time again is, is you really like to, I think that's why uh, your hour long show could never be like a quick 15 minute or, or like, yeah, Oh, absolutely not. It, it's, uh, I mean, it is the default. One of the rules that we have is if you won't give us an hour, we don't give a shit how famous you are. Um, if you, if Oprah didn't give us an hour, we would say no. Yeah. Wow. That's so, I love it. I love the yeah. sort of sticking to your guns. And, um, one thing I've really found interesting though about you is 
Um, and this is, I guess, like, uh, you know, um, you can get as transparent as you want, but um, I can see you getting uh, a little step of ahead of some of your guests. And, and you know when they're going down a road of just saying remote answers that are just like already plugged into their minds and they're just habitual with those. Um, yeah. How have you been able to kind of like, break them out of that habit? Yeah, that's such a good question. It was, it's funny because I have been working on this new piece titled the art of the interview, what I've learned from 700 episodes. Uh, and that, that actually is one of the questions that I wanted to answer because when you interview people, particularly people who are interviewed a lot or people who have a large public presence or are quote unquote famous in any way, they're used to being interviewed. And more often than not, they're asked the same questions in every single interview. And of course, if you keep getting asked the same questions in every interview, it becomes very easy, uh, like you said, for them to go right into sort of that pattern of, oh, well, okay, I've answered this a thousand times. This is how I'm going to answer this question. A lot of it comes down to the way that you ask questions. So you've listened to the show, so you know that we start the show with very unusual questions. Um, you know, everything ranging from what did your parents do to a living to what social group were you a part of in high school to where in the world did you grow up? Uh, because the thing that happens when you ask questions like that is that there's no conditioned response that they can give you because nobody asks them those questions. So the real, the, the key to what you're talking about to getting people to that place is to effectively interrupt patterns. You know, it's what, it's what Tony Robbins in the world of uh, personal development calls a, a pattern interrupt. And when you interrupt a pattern like that, you basically break whatever script that they had in mind completely stops. So I'll give you an example. You probably remember this since you listen. Uh, I remember asking Gay Hendricks, uh, who wrote this book called... Um, I don't, he's the zone of genius guy. I can't remember the damn name of the book, even though it's, it's an amazing book. You'll, you'll have to, to look it up. And, and um, The Big Leap, that's what it's called. Big Leap, yep. I, I was, yeah. was going to give you two more seconds. And I was like, Big Leap, man? <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, when you read as many books as I do, it gets confusing sometimes. Uh, but the thing is, you know, I asked him the question of what social group you are part of in high school. And the funniest thing was I got this entire story from Gay Hendricks about how he didn't have a date for the prom and how he was in the chemistry lab. And these three really popular girls came up to him and asked him, uh, you know, if they would if he would take their friend because they knew he didn't have a date. Like, there's no way you're going to get that if you ask sort of a standard question. So. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I realized, and, and you know, I credit to my business partner, Brian, for this, he said, you're going to get to somebody's work in a conversation, because if that's what they're there to talk about, great. But everybody asks them about their work. And, I, and the thing is that there's nothing particularly interesting about a conversation in which whatever's said about that person in a conversation is what you could read online by a few Google searches. I don't want a conversation like that. I want a part of a conversation that shows a part of this person that you're not going to be able to get anywhere else. Uh, that's going to be so deep and so riveting that you can't help but sit in your driveway and listen. You yourself said it that you put it, you know, up to next to, to your actual academic curriculum, which, you know, that 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 makes me really happy considering my views on education. Uh, but I, I think that that's that's by design. We we've really gone out of our way to to set up the show. So I think part of it is just you know redirecting the conversation, asking different questions than people are used to being asked. Easier said than done. I realize because I've done this for a really long time and I've just developed a unique skill set for it and a style for it. The other thing that I think is, is really worth noting is that most of my questions are based on what I'm genuinely curious about. Like the, the opening questions are always 
plan in advance. Uh, but with each one of these people, their questions. So, you know, we just had Cal Fussman episode hasn't come out, but I really wanted to know where Cal grew up. And I, you know, I'd heard him on other interviews and I wanted to make sure that I got something very different from him than what Tim Ferriss got from him. Because I was like, okay, you know what? Tim Ferriss got one story from him. I want to get a very different one. And I did. I mean, it, the, the Cal Fussman interview, which you'll hear on Monday, is like a, a damn history lesson. It's, it's incredible. It, it, re, it, it sounds like a damn movie when you listen to it. So that's, that's really a big part of it. I, I wish there was like some exact sort of step-by-step hack to do this, but really it's, it's about practice. It's about listening. It, it's about doing it over and over and over again. So there are things that I go back and I listen to, and I'll give you an example uh, of this. So a couple of years ago, we interviewed this guy named James Clear, who you know, your listeners have probably heard of. He has substantial online footprint, uh, writes about habits, behavioral change, and all that. And he was telling me a story uh, about his senior in high school and how he had this horrific injury uh, where he got hit in the face with a baseball bat. And I realized the question that I followed that up with was a very logical question. It was kind of like, why do people have post-traumatic stress versus growth? And when I went back and I listened to that question, I thought, well, that's a shitty question because somebody getting hit in the face with a baseball bat and like being laid out in a hospital, there's a story in and of itself (laughs) there. And I missed out on it completely. Yeah. I missed out on one of the most important stories in that conversation. Even though all, all of our listeners will say that that was a fantastic interview. When I, I realized that I was like, that made that a shitty interview. It could have been better if I hadn't done that. Oh man, man. Wow. Uh, <laughs> um, there's so many thoughts are going through my head, but one of them is, is this sort of like, you brought up the curiosity thing, mm-hmm. which is, is there's, there's a huge strength to being curious in our life, but you know the pitfalls of being curious, being focused, man. Like that is the hardest thing. They're like not changing your podcast. I've noticed because I've been a huge fan. You you don't really change the intro. You haven't really changed the outro, and even your like subscribe or sort of like share this episode, uh, like mini ads, sort of speak, aren't really changed at all. How do you just? go with what works and, and, and sort of systematize it. And also, um, how do you find that thing that you know you want to start focusing on, especially a book like yours, Audience of One? Well, you know, as, as far as not changing things, we make subtle changes uh, that probably at this point are so subtle, you don't, you don't notice them. So yeah, you're right. We haven't changed the intro music, which pisses me off because my friend's like, you realize it's like a stock sort of, you know, music, right? He said, it's kind of, you know, the, the antithesis of everything you stand for is like, yeah, fair enough. Like we recorded that a couple of years ago, just never got around to fixing it. Uh, you're right. We haven't changed the way we start or end the show in a really long time. And I, I don't see any reason to, because it works. Uh, I, I think that there's this weird sort of desire in our culture to constantly keep changing something based on what some figure of authority says or some guru says or what some social media celebrity says. You know, somebody says, oh, you know, do this and you'll have a million followers on Instagram. And of course, everybody fucking runs and does it. Or this is another one. I mean, podcasting is a perfect example of this. A couple of years ago, everybody in their mouth was like, oh, everybody should start a podcast. And the conveniently, the people who were most vocal about that mantra were the people who also happened to sell courses uh, on how to start a podcast. 
And I thought that was bullshit. I was like, no, not everybody should start a podcast. And we're seeing the repercussions of that right now. Uh, there are people who, people with big brands, when I, I know this because I emailed some of them for my book launch to say, hey, uh, would you be up for having me back on your show? And most of them replied saying, oh, I'm taking a hiatus from the show. And these are people who are like very successful. Their businesses are thriving. So when that happens, it tells you that what has happened basically is, is a bandwagon effect, which is not isolated to podcasts. This is something that's happened throughout history. So all that being said, um, to, to answer your question of, of why we don't change things, uh, there, there are a couple of different things that come to mind here. Uh, Ryan Holiday wrote a book called Perennial Seller, which is all about making work that lasts. And it's such a, a fascinating read and, and probably one of the most informative things I've, I've ever, you know, uh, really spent a lot of time thinking about. And the idea behind making you know what is called a perennial seller, he, he cites examples throughout history like Shawshank Redemption was barely registered at the box office. And uh, funny thing, you, you hear that and you're kind of like, holy shit, that's so hard to believe because that movie is so amazing. And yet, yeah, and you could probably watch it on TV any weekend, but it didn't become popular until it got to DVD. Now, you could have written it off as a failure and said, you know, okay, well, this thing didn't do well at the box office. Same thing happens to a lot of books as well. Uh, if you look at the New York Times bestseller list, the books that have been there for a really long time are often there long after they come out. Sometimes it might be three or four years after they come out that you, uh, that you actually see the book. And so with the podcast, particularly with Unmistakable Creative, the more I thought about it, the more I felt that I wanted what we were creating to be timeless. So you listen to the podcast, you know, every Friday we put these best of episodes up. And what's funny is some of those conversations are four years old. It doesn't make them any less relevant today because we've designed the show in such a way that it doesn't matter when you listen to the information, you would actually find it valuable. Hey, Logan Tyler Nelson here. I would so appreciate it if you took some time to hit the subscribe button. I really want to just honestly live and give. Why? Because I was told when I was young that if you're feeling down, the best way to feel better is by lifting someone up again. So in an effort to make someone feel less alone, please hit the subscribe button so the podcast has a better chance of being found and making someone feel less alone. And if you're feeling down, hey, it can help you. Know that by hitting that subscribe button, you just did someone a huge favor. So thank you for hitting that subscribe button. Wow, man. Wow. I love that because, um, honestly, like, see, that's a, that's why I can listen to your show. And that's actually why I like podcasts overall is because you actually have to like look for the date to actually find, uh, Oh, it's been published in 2017 and not 18. And I just find that, 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 that content is just so evergreen. And it's funny that you have even said though, that you don't listen to podcasts very often. Why do you think you've become a, a great interviewer, even though you don't consume that art? That's a really interesting question. Nobody's ever asked it to me that way before, which I appreciate. Um, I, I've thought about that a lot, right? Because I've even made the argument in my own book that you should consume the art form that you create if you want to get better at it. Uh, and yet, I, I don't consume audio. It's not really my preferred form of media consumption. In some ways, I think maybe that has also made me a better interviewer uh, because I'm not listening to how somebody else does what they do. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I don't not listen to podcasts at all. 
Like I do have the podcast app. I have a few things that I'm subscribed to. If I'm in the car, I will usually listen to either. I'll usually just turn on a podcast just to see what's going on. Cause there's never anything good on the radio. Um, you know, I, I do listen to music sometimes, but podcasts have kind of become my go-to in the car. But in general, if you look at, at sort of my podcast consumption for somebody who creates a podcast, I don't listen to very many. Um, and that's a really bizarre thing. So as far as, as you know, why, despite the fact that I don't consume the, the art form, have I been able to, to cultivate my, my craft uh, as an interviewer? I, I think part of it is because of the fact that I, I've really, really looked at it as a craft. Uh, I, I, and when I do listen to podcasts, I don't listen to people who fall into sort of the entrepreneurial sort of, you know, uh, personal development kind of, uh, you know, the people who fall into my own genre pretty much, uh, who I do listen to are, are people that are sort of like really, really masters, the people who do NPR type podcasts, um, because they've figured out something. They've clearly understood how to tell stories in a way that's compelling. You know, you have this whole narrative journalism effect. I really want to be able to be, I would love it if I had the skill and the editing capacity to basically create a show similar to what Guy Raz does with how I built this. I think I have the dialogue and the dialogue that I pull out of people is there. It's a matter of finding somebody who knows how to edit in that way that would really, I think, get it to that level. I, I, I also am always experimenting. The, you know, We'll try things and sometimes they fall flat. I'm willing to bet on guests that most people are kind of like, eh, maybe nothing here. And I, I'm kind of like, well, I think there is. Uh, th like there are people, it's funny because there are people who most people would kill to have on their podcast that we have said no to. And then there are people who nobody's ever fucking heard of that we like begged and pleaded to get on our podcast. Uh, and that, that's always been by design, uh, because I knew ultimately here's the thing, right? Like there, let's say you land Tim Ferriss for your podcast. People think that this is like the biggest deal in the world. And what they completely overlook is that, yeah, Tim Ferriss is also on like a hundred other podcasts. So it's not a big deal to land Tim Ferriss on your podcast. It's not going to make you stand out in any way. What makes you stand out is stuff that is interesting and stuff that is interesting is usually based on your personal curiosity. That's why I would never um, outsource guest selection either. I, there are services that do that. And I was like, why would I do that? This is like probably the thing that I am most like gifted at is, is curating people. Uh, and then the other part of it, I, I, you know, I mentioned craft at the beginning of this, uh, sort of rant that I'm on. Um, but I, I go back and I listen to everything. Uh, I listen to everything multiple times. I am very, very mindful of what we create because I believe that attention is an incredibly precious, uh, asset. And the fact that people are willing to share theirs with you means a lot to me. And I respect that to the point where I will cut interviews in the middle of them if I don't like how it's going. I will not publish something if I don't like it. And I will ask people to do retakes if I'm not happy with how it turned out. And if somebody, which on occasion they have, tells me to go fuck myself, then I just delete the interview. I'm, you know, I'm clear that they're not a guest for Unmistakable Creative. And I, I'm not interested in supporting mediocrity because of the fact that people, the moment somebody presses play, I know for a fact they're choosing me out of thousands of other options. I better fucking deliver. I love that, man. I'm giving you such a virtual like hug right now because I think that's so that's so hard to do nowadays is to actually tell somebody what they don't want to hear. And it's a practice. And I think that it often happens a lot with artists that I see uh, a rejection and being told no is something that they're they're um they're able to do 
they're able to take the no and the rejection. It's why Howard Stern, it stands out um, more than 90,000% of interviewers because he's able to instigate, to, to poke at things that people clearly don't want to be poked at. And um, yeah. I'm sure you have opinions about that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's this amazing, um, you know, uh, I don't know if it's on, it's a newsletter or it might be on his blog. In, on his blog. It's called uh, The Lefsitz Letter. Um, Bob Lefsitz is a music critic. And he actually wrote a piece about Howard Stern that was really good about how Stern has become really successful. I mean, Stern has really mastered his craft and he's spent, you know, probably the better part of 15, 20 years doing it. And he, you know, he talked about it uh, on uh, the interview that he did with David Letterman. And you see that and it's, it's, it's mind blowing. It really is. It really, really is. Sometimes I put you on mute just to make sure that I hear all of it. Um, <laughs> so um, one thing, though, I want to go into is scratching the surface curiosity questions, which is yeah. just sort of like a, some little deep questions and then some sort of scratching the surface exactly what they sound like uh, okay. questions. So um, the first question, I just, I, I want to ask you this, like, mm. Srini, what, what do you think you for yourself, like what desires do you think you're fulfilling for yourself versus desires of other people around you just based off of your influences? Well, it's a good question and it's a fitting question given the the subject matter of, of this book. I think that the desire that I'm fulfilling for myself is to uh, explore my my personal interests through my work. Um, every choice that I make about who to talk to is based on on my own personal curiosity. I, I just I look at a story and I'm like, oh, there's, there's something interesting here. I'll, I'll give you a, an example. Uh, the other day, somebody followed me on Instagram and, uh, you know, it, it, like I looked at her pictures and she was a trapeze artist and I was like, Ooh. And you know, the fact that she was really attractive didn't hurt, but, uh, but I went and looked because I was curious and I was like, Oh, you're a trapeze artist for Cirque du Soleil. I'm like, well, that would be a fucking fascinating interview. And so I made a note and said, okay, you know what? Um, I, I reminded myself like, you know, when I get a chance, uh, reach out to this person. And the funny thing is most people wouldn't have looked at this random person who followed them on Instagram and said, huh, I wonder if there's an interview here. My first thought was, Ooh, trapeze artist from Cirque du Soleil. Like who the hell, like, there's no way that's not going to be a fascinating conversation uh, because for somebody to do that as a living is so out of the, the sort of norm of society and our, our scripts. So that's, that's really, I think what drives me. I, I think the other part of this is that I have this perpetual desire to be creating something. I need to be creating something. If I'm not, I'm not happy. Uh, the worst times in my life are always when I'm not working on something. Uh, it's it's so it's weird. I I don't have an easy time. This is something that that I struggle with. I don't have an easy time doing nothing, uh, doing nothing, or, or just spending time alone. And or, like, if I have something to work on, it occupies me. I, I think it consumes my attention. And when I don't, my mind just kind of goes in circles. And you know, like I, I tend to be super ADD and anxiety ridden. But when I have something that I know, like, okay, this is my focus for the next, like, eight to nine months or next year, then it, it's, it's all-consuming, and I, I like it that way. Somebody asked me recently, they're like, how does it feel to be done with a book? And I said, I hate being done with a book. Like, I can't stand being done with a book. It, it, like, you know, you, by the time you, like, right after you submit your, the manuscript, you're like, thank fucking God this thing is over. Then you kind of wake up a few days later and you're like, shit, now I just want to be in the middle of it. Um, like I, that's my favorite part. I, I genuinely enjoy the process. I like writing books. I want to keep writing books. Somebody asked me, you know, what's your goal with books? And I said, to be honest, uh, I want, you know, if I'm lucky, what my goal that I'll be able to reach through my books is to write more books. 
it's funny because I was literally going to ask you this question of what you're struggling with <laughs> and uh, you already answered it. Like I, I, I but it's crazy because it's a paradox that we live in. We think that um, the sort of like having the book done is going to give us, you know, everything we want or having, you know, 500 episodes in the can mm. to now like share with everyone is what we want. And then we think, oh, that business, that million dollar business that we want is going to finally give us the life that we want. And I, I have to pay respects where respects are earned. And I've learned that from your show, listening to the show that the, the process is the most important part finding the problem that you're allowing yourself to really take in into a pro like interviewing for me is a process that I love doing, even though sometimes it's a little uh, it's a little uh, nerve wracking. Like I mean, you could really mess up. You could also have a terrible interview um, and not ask good questions, you know. And so, or or even having a business like working on that business and to be open about it and to make content around it um, is way more enjoyable than actually hitting publish on it for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, I do need to ask you this cause I think it's like, it's definitely um, a question that I, I, I just like, all right, what kind of question? What's, what's something like a belief that you had about some subject if five years ago that now you look at it and you go, wow, that was so unbelievably false. Five years ago, I, I might be, believe it or not, by the point that I was into this project. But I, I, if we were to go back to probably, I think, 2009 or 2007, you know, when I started business school, I had a very set and narrow definition of what success looked like. It was a certain type of job with a certain type of salary uh, that was prestigious in some way and respected in, in some way. And that was the measure. And the funny thing about that measure of success is that it was all based on the opinions of other people, uh, which is a recipe for disaster. And, and hence the reason, uh, you know, I, I think that my career has been uh, a series of ups and downs, uh, largely because I've often made decisions, particularly earlier in my life, based on uh, what, how I thought other people would respond uh, or how, whether or not other people would approve. Like when your definition of success is based on other people's opinions, it's ludicrous because you're making decisions about your life uh, based on people's opinions and those people will never have to live with the consequences of your choices. Amazing. Amazing, dude. Seriously. Um, and yeah, I think that's the most important question for anyone to answer is, is what's your own definition of success? Like it's, it, it go, and it really does sometimes change and evolve. So that's okay. But, um, to try to take and carbon copy anyone else's definition is just, it's just not practical. Cause guess what? Then if you do that, you have to trade your entire life with them. And, um, that's just not possible. <laughs> so, um, I want to go into, the, uh, these 30 seconds or less type questions and answers. Sure. Um, so this is going to be a fun one for you. If you could sit down with one person on a bench for an entire hour, who would it be and why? Oof. Wow. Hey, Logan Tyler Nelson here. I would so appreciate it if you took some time to hit the subscribe button. I really want to just honestly live and give. Why? Because I was told when I was young that if you're feeling down, the best way to feel better 
is by lifting someone up again. So in an effort to make someone feel less alone, please hit the subscribe button so the podcast has a better chance of being found and making someone feel less alone. And if you're feeling down, hey, it can help you. Know that by hitting that subscribe button, you just did someone a huge favor. So thank you for hitting that subscribe button. Jeez. You know, it's so funny because like there are numerous people that come to mind. I mean, world leaders are a starting point. At the moment, uh, you know, there are probably two people. And funny enough that they happen to be be comedians, probably John Oliver or Trevor Noah. Um, Trevor Noah, because I would really like to understand how how, you know, I, I think what's special about Trevor Noah is that he had to fill some really fucking big shoes to step into the role that he did. Um, that's not an easy position to be in. And he's kind of come into his own in some way. You know, my, my joke is that the Trump presidency is probably the best thing that ever happened to Trevor Noah because he's gotten endless amounts of material. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's just so much to cover every day that you, you, there's no end to it. Uh, but I remember thinking, is, is this guy going to find his own? And really, because when you follow in the footsteps of an iconic character like Jon Stewart, not only is the, you have big shoes to fill, at the same time, you have to become your own person. Trevor Noah's not Jon Stewart, and he's not supposed to be. And I, I think it's remarkable that he's found his own voice. The other person I think would be John Oliver. Um, my guess is if John Oliver didn't get the offer from HBO, he would have gotten the job at Comedy Central instead of Trevor Noah. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but I think it might be. Uh, because if John Oliver was poached by HBO, there's a good chance that Comedy Central had to be thinking about him. Uh, and John Oliver is brilliant because he, in 18 minutes, packs in so much information. Uh, he teaches us something. He makes us laugh. Uh, and, and he's smart. He's super smart. Like, I, I want to know, you know, what does a guy like this read? How does he keep up with all this shit? And, and how does the, the process of putting together an episode of Last Week Tonight work? Like, what's the creative process? Like, how many people are involved um, in coming up with these bits? And how long does it take to write something that's that smart but only lasts 18 minutes? Um, I think the, to me, anybody who can do brilliant things and create brilliant work with incredible constraints is a genius like that that's that is a level of of sort of depth and brilliance that i i aspire to to achieve in my life i love it dude dude that um i love how you've you've taken art and entertainment and use that as valuable and just as as valuable as like what you read in technology and stuff that's going to like level you up, for example. But it's this sort of like being entertained and, and analyzing the way Trevor Noah does his, his comedy. Mm -hmm. Uh, it it does give an exemplary context of why I think you actually are a good artist is because, or a great interviewer, which I think is very much art indeed, um, is because of the way you're able to, look at it from many angles instead of just one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could go on for that. You know, I'm trying to make these 30 seconds or less, Srini, you're, you're throwing me off my game. <laughs> um, but the next question I really want to ask you is if you could recommend one podcast for someone to listen to. Um, shameless plug, I know you're unmistakably creative as one, but what's another one? Uh, you know what? I, who I think is is an incredible interviewer, and it's not surprising that Netflix picked him up and and you know made a TV show out of this is uh, Sam Jones. 
uh, who runs a show called Off Camera. He interviews the most brilliant people, uh, like Matt Damon, Laird Hamilton. The fact that he can, you know, get a dialogue uh, that goes across such a, a wide range of people. I mean, when you can have a conversation with Cindy Crawford, Laird Hamilton, uh, Tony Hawk, and Matt Damon all on the same podcast. That's that's a whole other level of genius. He's a celebrity photographer, and I, I think his work is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's up there. I I I compare him to Joe Rogan a lot. I think Joe Rogan has it a little bit easier because he does two hours and forty minutes sometimes, yeah. <laughs> and you can get pretty deep with someone in two hours and forty minutes. So, totally. um, but yeah, I totally agree, a hundred percent. Who? Um, if you could, if you could switch out with, uh, one person in their, in their career field, uh, what career field would that be? That's like saying, what, what job would I want to do for a day? Um, to be honest at the moment, I would like the job of the president because I think I could do it better, (laughs) (laughs) which doesn't say much to be honest. Um, no, I mean, in all honesty, like when I, when I look at those jobs, I'm like, oh, okay, that would be cool to be like, you know, the most powerful person in the world for a day. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else has like a job that's just a shit ton of fun. I'm trying to think of who I would want to, you know, who, whose job I would love for just a week is Dave Matthews. Ooh, I thought you were going to say Casey Neistat. <laughs> no, I would love to switch places with Dave Matthews for a week to be able to just get on a fucking stage and like rock it. Oh man, you would, uh, I think you'd kill it actually. That's, that's awesome. That's cool. Cause, um, maybe someone doesn't know this, but if you know, Srini, he comes from a music background, so yes. he would, he would rock it. I, I agree with that. Um, what is a, a glimpse of your morning routine, man? And I got just a couple more questions. We'll round it out. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Uh, so morning routine is pretty standard at this point. Uh, I wake up in the morning like 5.30 or 6 o'clock, depending on what I did the night before. Sometimes if I've smoked a joint the night before, it's you know pushed to 6.30. Uh, but usually it, it's 6 a.m., uh, you know, wake up, uh, brush teeth, coffee bre- is set to brew. And then while the coffee is brewing, I meditate for, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. And, uh, after the, the meditation is done, um, I sit down and I, uh, well, I go and get the coffee after the meditation is done and I read for anywhere between 30 to 45 minutes. Um, I try to average about 50, 50 to 75 pages of reading every morning, depending on, on what's going on. Uh, then I will write by hand in a, a journal for probably 30 minutes or so. I, I, I go until I hit three pages. Like that's the Julia Cameron sort of morning pages routine, but I don't stop there. So when I open up my computer, the goal is then, because it's you can't you know track your word count on a, a Moleskin, but you can on your computer. So then I open up a, a distraction-free writing app um, and I'll write until I hit a thousand words. Sometimes I'll get to 1500. It just really depends on the morning. Uh, and then, the, you know, there, so I try to eliminate as many decisions as possible from the first part of my day. Like I try to automate a good amount of that. Uh, and then, uh, really depending on what the day looks like interviews happen between 10 AM and 2 PM. If there are no interviews, um, you know, I try to get in a workout. So I just recently started doing CrossFit at the recommendation of a friend, uh, the afternoons I struggle with because I, I feel this constant need to be doing something, even though I'm not doing anything particularly important in the afternoons, I'd be better off just shutting down completely at, at like two or three. Um, but overall that's, that's the gist of it. And it's the, I think the thing that people don't realize when it comes to routines is that the, 
environment and the behavior will eventually get linked at a certain point. So I don't have to think about doing this stuff anymore only because I've done it so much. So true, man. So true. I'm the same way. Um, it's funny. I, I get connected with podcasters and I go, that's why they are the way they are. It's not because of their parents all the time. It's because the habits that they've created during this moment in their life. And so um, look at someone's habits and look at their lifestyle and you will see a very, very funny correlation with that. Oh yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, just two more questions. Uh, question is, uh, where's one place people can find you, Serini? Well, the book Audience of One is available uh, on Amazon and then the other place is uh, in iTunes. Just do a search for Unmistakable Creative. Nice. I'll put in uh, I'll put in the direct link to Audience of One in the show notes. So anyone that's uh, got an Apple or, or Overcast or whichever way you're you're actually listening to this and consuming it. I mean, if you're listening to this on a computer, I would say, um, "Wow, I can't believe you are." That's amazing. <laughs> there are people who do that. <laughs> it's crazy, but um, you will be able to click on that link and find the direct link to his book. It's a very very well written book and um it is exactly what i think every single person that wants to just up their game in creativity up their game in being able to think in a in a way where oh i've got a business but i need to stand out with my business because i have a lot of competition this book can help you if you're someone who's also had a real hard problem with writing overall i think this book is great for that so i just got to um say that off the bat Sweet. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. Oh, dude, you're so welcome. But I want to leave this off where someone can be kind of musing too, because I think self-inquisitive questions are sometimes more important than answers. So what's a question that you can leave our audience with that will sort of like, you know, um, uh, leave them trying to tackle during their, their, their time and, and their life on this planet? Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I, it's such a, a fitting ending to the the question because the answer that was coming to mind, it's almost like you read my mind. I, what I would say is, is you know, what are the souvenirs that or, or the things that you can leave behind that have been a representation of the fact that you are here? Mm, man, that is, wow. <laughs> we didn't set that up, Srini. This is totally improvised, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow, that's huge. Wow. Ah. Well, Srini, thank you so much for being on the show, man. I will, I will honestly uh, love to have you on, like maybe in a couple of months, and just see where you're at, and also maybe talk about. I think a real value for people um, that are interested in making more creative work, um, stand in their business, is sort of like come out and go, "Hey, this is what it is." To actually, go on a bunch of interviews and and to publish a book and market it. It's and and to go through like maybe your system of doing it. I think that could be valuable for people. For sure, yeah. I'm I'm actually working on a lengthy piece about this um, that will be probably coming out next week sometime. So I'll share it with you when it goes live. Sweet. I'm moving over LinkedIn too. That's where it's at, my friends. Go there. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. All right. End it out. Wow, you made it to the very end of the show. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Scratch Your Own Itch with your host, 
Logan Tyler Nelson. To make it to the end? Gosh, that doesn't happen very much nowadays. I mean, especially with the constant distraction. So, I appreciate all of the efforts that you just took out of your day to make it to the end. And if you hit that subscribe button and leave a review, you would have no idea what that would mean to me. So thank you so much for taking the time to hit that subscribe button. And if you leave a review, check it out. Just screenshot it, send it to me, and I'd love to host your review out on the show. But don't ever forget, like I say, you matter and you're enough. Love is the main reason for how all this happened. Love for all my fans, love for all the shows. Got love for all my memories, no matter where I go. Even if I'm out to nothing, I know there's always something. It's not a fitness test, but it'll always be.